everyone, and welcome to another episode of In Media's Mess, where two pop culture nerds try to make sense of the messy world of mass media. I'm Alanis. And I'm Clea. And we're glad to have you along. So, time may be a construct, but we are almost done with 2020, and we are so grateful. There have, of course, been some pockets of positivity throughout the year, but between the disasters and the tragedies and the global pandemic, it's safe to say that 2020 was a bad year for everyone. And of course, when things go bad in life, we turn to media so that we can ignore reality and pretend that things are okay just for a little while. So we thought it was only appropriate to have our last episode of 2020, Pay tribute to the many media forms that have gotten us through this absolute trash fire of a year. When things go awry in life, my immediate response is escapism, always has been. I tend to retreat to a cave and just watch so many things until my eyeballs run dry. It's my tried and tested, though not always healthy, coping mechanism. But man, there was just so much to escape from this year. For me, escapism has also always been like a pretty solid coping mechanism. But I feel like since 2020 has basically just been like one traumatic experience after the other, it was really important for me to surround myself with the things that made me happy. And that was where a lot of my media choices came from. I like to call this year the year of comfort media because it really saw me gravitate towards a lot of familiar favorites. And I also actually went on to rediscover some old interests that I hadn't kept up with just because it was easy and familiar and something that I could really focus my energy on aside from like all of the crazy that was happening basically the entire year. Yeah, and I mean, basically, our worlds abruptly stopped for a good quarter of the year. I'm not saying that things aren't still up in the air generally. We still have no idea what's going to happen. But the early months of quarantine really saw our lives come to a halt. And so a lot of people needed to turn to something to be able to survive. And media was definitely one of those things. A lot of people were able to get to their movie and TV backlogs. Your Netflix queue and your to-watch and to-read lists. Yeah, exactly. Those were such a big help in keeping our sanity. But aside from the stuff that has been sitting in our lists for years and months, there's also been an influx of new stuff too this year. Absolutely. It's been like a barrage of content really, especially over the last few months. Yeah, and though there's a lot of concerns surrounding the changes that quarantine has brought in media, I think for the meantime, I'm just more thankful that there was so much good stuff across the board and that people more than ever are sharing the good stuff that they come across. So that's basically what this episode is. It's a rundown of media that helped us through 2020. And I think we should definitely start with music, given the sheer abundance of music releases this year. Like, it's kind of wild. It was. Like today, as we're recording, Taylor Swift just dropped Evermore. Right. And, you know, there were so many surprise drops, so many EPs, so many just like random things that came out um, in the music world. And obviously, like as a listener, it's great because 
there's so much to kind of keep up with and there's so much new content to consume. But really, I'm thinking back to maybe this time last year and the the music that we've received this year is definitely like so much more than what the past few years have given us, you know? Well, I guess also it's there's also the factor that we're more attuned to the releases because we're literally just like living off of our screens now. Right, yeah. But yeah, at the same time, I feel like a lot of artists are just producing more art. Mm-hmm. And wow, the pop girls are really, they're on that grind. The hustle is real. Yeah, the pop girls are hustling. 2020 gave us Chloe and Halle's Ungodly Hour, Dua Lipa's Future Nostalgia, Lady Gaga's Chromatica, Ariana Grande's Positions, Haim's Women in Music Part 3. Like, there's so many. I can't list down all of them. But the pop queen that was on repeat for me the entire year was Rina Sawayama. Right, yeah. 2020 was Rina's year for sure. Though she's been around for a while, her debut studio album Sawayama dropped this year and so everyone really took notice and she definitely entered the very Carly Rae Jepsen-esque semi-mainstream pop arena. Mm. For me, I discovered her early this year. I remember the exact moment. I was driving home and I heard Comme des Garçons, like the boys, come from like my Spotify shuffle and as someone who loves the fashion label Comme des Garçons and critiquing male tropes to have both in a really really good danceable track when I heard it I really was like oh my god this is made for me and I replayed it to death on the spot and then when Sawayama came out that was it I just knew she was the one it's such a good album and what I love about it so much is the range like from the influences and sound to the themes injected into the songs it talks about capitalism childhood trauma fetishization of Japanese culture, chosen families. It's incredible. And none of it ever feels cliche or forced or sabog because it's kind of connected by a very personal and almost biographical lens. So Rina definitely made my 2020. What about you, Cleo? So I feel like this year in music for me has also been a lot of not quite mainstream artists. Also, generally, I'm just very bad at keeping up with new music. Like, I listen to albums maybe a year after they've dropped. It's just who I am as a person. But this year, I discovered Maggie Rogers, who I absolutely adore. Heard It in a Past Life is such a good album. Um, I think it was released early last year, but I actually just discovered it this March. Oh, start of quarantine! Yeah, it was really great timing because... Basically, it was just on blast throughout like the May-April time of like quarantine crazy. And I just think it's great. Like it has that laid-back pop vibe that I really latched onto this year. I feel like a lot of music that I listened to, I needed it to be chill to sort of offset everything else that was happening. So I feel like this was a really good album for me at that point of the year. Also, her latest single, Love You For A Long Time, is so good, you guys. Like, it's actually one of my top 10 on Spotify rap this year. I love that song so much. Ooh! Okay. None of my top Spotify songs are relevant to this episode. But anyway, it's so interesting because Maggie Rogers is a bit more folky-influenced. Right. Which goes to show how diverse pop music can be. 
it's such a weird genre label in the first place. But I agree with you that you find the vibe that you love or need in the moment within it. And there's honestly so much good pop around the world. Right. A lot of people know that I love K-pop, but I actually started like seriously exploring pop music through French pop. Recently, I'm dipping my toes into Mando pop and Q-pop. Q-pop is pop music from Kazakhstan, which is a country I've always wanted to visit. And I'm super into city pop lately, a genre that originates in the wonderfully diverse arena of Japanese music. Japanese music is great. Yeah. Like, just as a quick side note, like, Japanese music is where it's at, you guys. It's great. It's just such a thriving industry, which is what I want for us, but different episode. But also, since it's impossible for me to talk about pop girls and not mention K-pop, I just want to take a moment to applaud my second generation K-pop girls. So many of them came back to dominate this year. So many good works this year. Um, from Victoria, finally, to Hyolin, to Janier, to CL, to Sonmi, and even the Brave Girls, thank God. But I think my favorite has got to be the 1719 album from Hatfelt. And the reason why is because I think it's such a personal and vulnerable album. It gets very raw and painful, but also very, very hopeful. Mm -hmm. And as a fan, I've seen what she has had to go through. And for her to say, okay, I made it to the other side and be so honest about that process, it just makes me feel so strong too. Sweet Sensation, her anthemic single, has gotten me through the rough patches of this year for sure. I've probably danced to it while crying a dozen times. And, you know, that kind of rising from the ashes vibe is something that's shared Mm -hmm. by the second generation girls that came back. So I'm so proud of them for not only their grit and their strength that I want to emulate, but also just the really, really good music that they have given us. Okay, so we've pretty much talked about, like, all girls of the music scene so far. So I'm going to shift just very quickly to this one guy. I don't know if I can class him as indie just because I don't think a lot of people know him for his music. But this is Noah Reed, and he is a Canadian actor, singer, and songwriter. You like Canadian artists, Cleo. I've noticed. (laughs) I do like Canadian artists. I've noticed also. I discovered this completely on accident, but I really like it. He released his album Gemini in June of this year, and it's a very interesting mix of like genres. Like it's a little pop, it's a little rock, a little folk, a little country. It's just like a very strange mishmash of just like fun stuff, and that's right up my alley. A lot of his songs are also just kind of like melancholic in a weird way. It's like they're not sad. It's just very slow and chill and very like pensive, which I think also just really fit my mood for the year. So yeah, Noah Reed is a really good discovery for me. I feel like it was one of the few new artists that I was able to like really discover this year or at least One of the ones that I dove into a complete album of instead of just a handful of songs and singles. Right, yeah. Like, you really took the time to listen to the album. Yeah. I mean, Gemini is great and all, but like, uh, his EP that he released before that, Songs from a Broken Chair, is also like, it's A+. So, check it out, you guys. It's really good. And of course, I don't think we can talk about 2020 releases without mentioning Carly Rae Jepsen who surprised us all 
with dedicated side B, which genuinely I think was responsible for like half of my serotonin this year. No, yeah, same. And dedicated side B dropped pretty early in quarantine. It was, yeah. Relatively early because we're still in quarantine. But around this time, we were just feeling so tired of the situation already. Like we were veering into madness. I think it came at a time where we really just needed a pick-me-up to kind of just be like, I just need something fun before the rest of the bad things happen. And the thing with CRJ is, you know, the circle that we run in is definitely her market. So you see so many of your friends listening to the Side B album and everyone just being so happy. I remember yelling at you. Like, I remember, like, messaging you in all caps. Oh, Anis! Oh my god! Yeah, we did talk about it. We were like, oh my god, it's here, it's here, it's yeah. here. And then we, like, did first listen opinions. Yeah, as in we literally just gave each other, like enough time to listen to the entire album and then we just went on like a full exchange of thoughts afterwards and i just love queen crj's side b album it gives me so much happiness and like we said comfort and you know like we mentioned we this year we did gravitate towards that i think for me that's especially true with TV. I watched so much this year, but how about you, Clea? I know you were a little bit more selective. This was a very interesting year for me in terms of television shows. I watched a fraction of what I usually do, and I think it was just because there was so much information overload that I felt like starting a new show was just going to overwhelm me with like new stuff. Right. I rewatched a lot of comfort shows like Avatar The Last Airbender, which we've talked about like pretty extensively, so I'm just gonna spare everyone from that now. In preparation for the transmedia episode, actually, I rewatched Scum, and that was really fun. About two years ago, I also got into comedy, like stand-up and comedy specials on Netflix, John Mulaney, Trevor Noah. So I spent a lot of time also just kind of rewatching comedy specials because I think this was just like the fun light stuff that I felt like I needed this year. But in terms of new discoveries, there is one show that I found and finished this year. And I feel like a lot of people did as well. So this is Shit's Creek. Again, Canadian. Um, It's a Canadian sitcom. Yeah, Clea, it's a theme. <laughs> Canada makes good stuff, you know? Shit's Creek is a Canadian sitcom from the incredible mind of Dan Levy. If you haven't seen it yet, you've probably at least heard of it as the show that swept the Emmys. Yes, oh my god. We'll talk about that later, and I will leave it to you individually if you think that it's, you know, deserved or not. But genuinely, I love this show. It's basically like about a rich family who is like scammed into losing everything they own. And the only thing they have to their name is like a small town in rural Canada that they bought as a joke like a couple of years back. I watched all six seasons of this show in 10 days, which really tells you how much I latched onto it, you know? But I think the best way to describe it is that for me, this show kind of like watching it felt like a hug. It's very strange to explain it, but like, I think for me, it's just that over the last few years, I've found it very difficult to find comedy that is like uplifting and insightful while also being funny. And I feel like Schitt's Creek sort of like hit the nail on the head with that one. 
admittedly like the first season is pretty slow but you know it picks up really well after that and then this is also how I found Noah Reed you guys so my media world is very small and very interconnected but that is just to say it's like a great show and I just really enjoyed it like it was a fun quarantine sort of like buddy if you will I remember when you first um, started watching it and you told me about it and then I was like oh cool I'll put that in the watch list and then you messaged me saying that you were almost done and I was like what girl you just told me about it <laughs> not so fast okay in my defense I was furloughed and I had nothing better to do you guys it's okay Clea Schitt's Creek was also you know the episodes were not long no, yeah, Shit's Creek episodes are like 20 minutes and the season is like 13, 14 episodes. It's always nice when a show is able to kind of tell so much of a story in such limited time. I feel like it's an indicator of like how well thought out it was. I agree. It becomes more impactful and very compact. Mm, yeah. But I think it's interesting because for me, the shows that I loved that felt like a hug were the ones that were a little bit slow. This year, I gravitated toward so much of Slice of Life with my series, and I've always loved Slice of Life. My favorites tend to either go high concept or Slice of Life generally, but this year saw me veer very solidly into the Slice of Life camp. And like I said, Slice of Life tends to be a little bit slow. It's a slow burn of a story, really. Yeah, it's like you're going through things with a friend. It's really more about everyday experiences and everyday struggles and everyday people. And since the genre originates primarily from Japan, I think, and so in that way, it's a little bit more Asian. Asian Slice of Life dramas are where I kind of like lived and I gravitated towards female-centric ones where the characters were a little bit older, like 20s to 30s, so our age range, basically. I guess I really was just looking for something that's close to home. Earlier this year, I watched and adored the Chinese dramas Lakuda Fodra, whose secondary couple gave me everything that I love in the drama couple, and also Ode to Joy, which is incredible. And in South Korea, there's Be Melodramatic, which I just think is a masterpiece and is super relatable because it's about like women in their 30s navigating their creative careers, love, queerness, family, mental health, and loss. There's so many, but it's so good. Doesn't ever feel overstuffed. Plus, I also finally got around to watching both the seasons of Age of Youth. Again, an ensemble, female-centric cast. Obviously, there's a pattern here. And it's been around a few years, and any longtime K-drama fan would probably recommend it. But if you haven't seen it, it's basically about five different girls and their lives together in a female dorm. It's the best. Plus, the girls are in university, which makes me love it even more. We need more of that. We've spoken about this, actually, like, a couple of times. And really, more college-setting stories, please. Like, there's so much to explore in, like, a university or college setting. Like, so much of my life experiences happened in college. So I feel like that's just, like, a fun little area to kind of, like, look into. And I feel like it's so much more interesting. I would love, um, like, a college-themed um sports show yeah and we've talked about this extensively too like we really want like a uaap themed show 
Yeah. Especially considering the very anime-like trajectory of the UP MBT the past couple of years. We don't even want it to necessarily be the UP yeah. basketball team. It, you know, it's like, think Haikyuu, but UAAP. Yeah, exactly. Just student-athletes in a non-alaala mo kaya narrative setting. <laughs> and I've also always said that something about campus politics a la Dear White People would also be really, really good. Oh my god, that would be so good. Someone write it, please, because I would watch the hell out of it. If any producers are listening, feel free to like throw money our way, we'll make it work. But yeah, so that college sports conversation was brought upon by another slice of life Asian drama that I love, Hot Stove League, which I really like recommended to so many people yeah literally literally alanis would be like in group chats just being like guys i found this drama yeah i mean good things have to be shared the people needed to know so yeah hot stuff league recently dropped on netflix but i watched it earlier this year because it ended earlier this year and it's basically about a struggling bottom ranked baseball team and their managers doing everything that they could to make the team succeed And it's just so hopeful, man. The baseball team is literally called Dreams. And I felt like I was dreaming right along with them. It was so beautiful. So yeah, lots of relatable slice of life because life is hard. And sometimes you need fictional friends that get you. Interestingly enough, the whole idea of sort of watching or kind of like taking in shorter content has carried over to pretty much like every part of my media experience this year. A problem I've had recently, and this is even like pre-COVID, is that like I have a harder time digesting like long-form stories. And so I really gravitate towards like quicker, shorter, like more, um, not to say easier, but like just less time-consuming content. And so, you know, in the world of like books and literature, I've really gravitated towards anthologies and short stories. Thankfully, there's so many good ones that I was able to kind of just like grab and just like really enjoy and like sit with this year. One of them is One More Thing, Stories and Other Stories by BJ Novak. BJ Novak is a comedian and his humor really bleeds into his writing. It's just like a really fun collection of just like light stories that are really witty and really sharp. And then you get just the occasional like fun snippets of wisdom just like thrown in there. I remember there was one particular story I was reading and it was really funny. I got to the last line and I let out a full gasp, like a like a full like theatrical gasp that my mom actually like put down her cup of coffee and was just like, what in the world just happened to you? I really enjoyed reading one more thing. Um, The other thing that I read was an anthology called Queer There and Everywhere, which is 23 People Who Changed the World by Sarah Prager. Cute! So like most things that happened to me this year, I actually discovered this like completely on accident. I was scrolling through Book Depository. I think I was looking for a biography. And then... I found this book and I thought like the graphic on the cover looked really cool, it seemed interesting, so I decided to buy it. And I really like it because it's honestly such an easily digestible book. Like I feel like whether you're 24 or 10, you can pick up some really good and really interesting information from it. So yeah, I really enjoyed it, um, especially because I'm a very big history nerd. 
and I felt like this was such a great way to learn about new people or even see people that you already knew from history in a different way. Yeah, because biographies are so fun. I just feel like life is so interesting. There are so many different lives that are interesting. I mean, especially now that we're just kind of like living a very, um, what do you call this? Routine life. Let's just call it what it is, Alanis. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. We're just like rotting in our rooms. So it's nice to like think about how other people live their lives. So in my case, I haven't really read much this year, but I relate to that preference for like non-fiction forms not in books but in films i've watched a lot of documentaries this year more than any other year in my life i feel like i think it's because given everything that's happening in our society today having revealing and thought-provoking documentaries is so necessary and almost imperative and one of my favorites on netflix that really did a number on me was knock down the house Listen, I don't think you should idolize politicians, period, not ever. But I watched this in the aftermath of Ulysses and the storms came one after the other, right? But one of the reasons why it became so much more devastating, aside from the general lack of action, is the lack of information brought about by the ABS-CBN shutdown. And so that really made me think about the importance of having people in Congress that cared about the people they represented. And apart from that, there's been a lot of documentaries doing online screenings this year as well. There was A Thousand Cuts that documented Maria Ressa and the threats to press freedom that was streamed for a day, I think in the middle of the year. And then the same happened for Aswang, which is a documentary about the war on drugs in the Philippines. It's also One of my most favorite films that I've watched this year, hands down. The storytelling is just so compelling because of the metaphor that likens the administration's war on drugs to the mythical Aswang. And Aswang was also part of the Daang Docu Festival that was streamed online also around September, which I really made time for because the lineup was excellent. And yeah, there was just a lot of digital screenings and like digital content. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, like obviously there is still quite a few issues that we need to work out, but having shows and films and like all of these things, you know, actually be online for people to access. I would say is a step in the right direction. Relating to that, there have been so many web series coming out of the Philippines this year. It has been, I mean, I'm going to assume it's also because of, you know, production constraints and how easy it is to just kind of like put something up on the internet. Obviously, there's there's more to it than that. But this year just saw like a lot of web series, a lot of web shows, a lot of podcasts, a lot of just online content. And something that I really enjoyed this year was Gaia Sa Pelicula, which is a rom-com-ish web series by Globe Studios that was written by Juan Miguel Severo. And it talks about basically like these two college boys from neighboring apartments who kind of find themselves having to share a space over the course of like a semester break. Again, keeping in theme with me and my very short attention span, it's a very short show, eight episodes, 20 to 30 minutes each. I just really enjoyed this. I feel like this was the first time that I've watched a local web series. Same. Same here. Yeah, I was just, I was I was pleasantly surprised by how much I really loved this, like, show. I feel like everything in this series, like, really was just 
very well done. The writing, the score, the set design. Mm-hmm. So I'll spare everyone the two hours of me just like yelling about how good this show is. But like what I said earlier, I just really appreciate when shows are able to convey so much depth in a story using what little time it has. And I feel like that was a really good thing with Gaia sa Pelicula in that it tells a very intricate story in eight episodes, which is, I think, just over three hours. So for those of you who haven't seen it, it's available to watch for free on the Globe Studios YouTube channel. It also has English subtitles and other subtitles, which I found super cool. Like, you know, access is always a great thing. I was also amazed. bandila ng Pilipinas. Like, let's go. No, yeah, and you know, it's actually funny. I did like a cursory um YouTube sort of like scroll. Yeah. This show has been getting so many like reaction videos from like people all around the world. The comments, the the YouTube comments also. Mm-hmm. There are always like people who are like, oh, I'm not from the Philippines, um, but I really enjoy the show. Yeah. There's a weird sense of pseudo patriotism in me, really, when I see those comments. It's just like, that's so nice. It's great that we are also starting to put out like really, really good content that like resonates with so many people from around the world. Also, content that people from all around the world can access. Just as a quick side note, um, I do actually, like we do know a couple of people in the production. So hi guys, we love you. We're so proud of you. Truly. And I'm just glad we're seeing a lot of good productions and like good media so that more people can see that the Philippines has so many creative people and talented people. And we have so much to offer in terms of storytelling. For sure. So any opportunity to further highlight that will always be great. Although when it comes to web series, aside from Gaia sa Pelicula, the only other one that I discovered this year that I adored was the Anne Frank Video Diary, which was produced by the Anne Frank House. And it is what the title says. It is a video series that reimagines their years hiding in the secret annex as though Anne's diary was not a journal, but a video diary. And it's something that our friend Steffi recommended, coincidentally, as I was attempting to reread Anne Frank's diary. And reading Anne Frank's diary was a very pivotal and transformative thing for me as a young girl. But watching the series was just a different kind of experience, especially because now that I'm older and like because of the realities that we live in today, there are new levels to my understanding of what she went through now. Obviously, the COVID situation isn't exactly comparable to World War II, but there's just a deeper understanding and feeling and empathy. And the video diary was just so well done and impeccably casted. The actresses who played Anne and Margot look so uncannily like Anne and Margot. So I was amazed. And it's not something that I was capable of binging even though it's a very short um, series because there were definitely episodes that I needed to emotionally prepare for, but it's definitely something that I think is worth your time. So we've talked a lot about turning to escapism and finding comfort in the media we've consumed this year. But the reality is, you know, we can't stay cooped up in that little bubble because there's so much happening in the world. There is. There really is. And 
I feel like in a year where the news cycles are this crazy and the dissemination of like correct information is more crucial than ever, I feel like we'd be remiss to not at least say thank you to all of the incredible people who are working the front lines of providing news and current affairs. Um, you know, that's the anchors, the reporters, the analysts, the field, um, the field photographers, like everyone who is just like giving so much of themselves to make sure that we all stay updated. Right. Like I'm kind of tearing up just like listening to you talk about it because with the way things are going, not just health-wise, but politically, it's very dangerous to keep fighting for information to be out there and for it to reach the public. And it takes a lot of integrity and bravery to do what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from, you know, saying thank you to all of these people who absolutely deserve it. I think this year has also shown us what gaps of information can do and the consequences of not providing accurate information or accessible information. And we don't want to get too like heavy, but I don't think we can talk about like this year in media without talking about like the ABS-CBN shutdown, without talking about you know, smear campaigns, so many just like false announcements and so much disinformation. Like this is a year where people really had to work overtime to process what information they were getting and to really think and figure out if this was true. Yeah, and it's not an easy thing to do given all the attacks on press freedom we've seen come to a head this year, trying to fact check and cut through the noise and also just fight for these freedoms It's hard, but it's what we have to do. We have to do what we can. Because not doing so and not talking about it would be failing the rest of our people who are fighting for it. Right. And we're not just talking about this because, you know, we used to be media students or that we have some hand in the industry now. I think... The ideas of defending press freedom and safeguarding the right to information, it's not just for the media industry, but like literally for every citizen. Like everyone deserves to know the truth, you know, the truth of what's happening, of what's in store. Before we jump into like a really intense discussion here, I think it just suffices to say that we all win when we are able to safeguard these rights and freedoms. 100%. We are not just fighting for ourselves, but we are fighting for everyone and fighting for the future. Aside from safeguarding rights of information and rights to press freedom, I think this year, for me also, something that I've grappled with and something that I've really tried to be better at is to kind of balance my escapism with my information spirals. Um... I'm usually the type of person to kind of do both in bursts where I spend a week like completely ignoring the world and not paying attention to the news and not looking at anything to just kind of like live in my bubble and de-stress. But then I also spend like a week just like fully immersed in all of the bad news and clicking every link and just like basically just like dragging myself down into this wormhole of like really intense information. And we've mentioned how entertainment media is important. We've mentioned how news and information is important, but I feel like a lot of people don't really talk about how important it is to find like a proper balance between the two. 
Yeah, same with you, Clea. That definitely has been something I've been trying to figure out a lot more this year. And like my techniques tend to change. So I don't necessarily have all the answers yet. I'm still continuously learning and still looking for better techniques or better ways to find that balance. Because I get very emotional over the news. I'm not going to say that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing that is. So when the news cycle gets intense, it does weigh down on me. And, you know, obviously we have to be informed. We have to, again, fight for these freedoms and rights. It's imperative. But I think we also have to remember that we're human and we can't operate like a machine. Sometimes we do need a breather. Yeah, absolutely. From the constant tragedy that we experience every day. For a lot of people, it felt like 2020 was one traumatic experience after the other. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people who... There are a lot of people online who sort of, like, talk about being informed as just constantly being on the pulse of things. Which I understand and like it's a, I mean, obviously it's important for us to know what's going on. But I think something that a lot of people need to be reminded of is that being constantly connected to news, breaking news, like everything, that's also not healthy. Um, And, you know, you're allowed to take a detox. You're allowed to not look at the news for a night if you feel like your mental health isn't like ready for it. You're allowed timeouts. You just can't time out and then never come back. And there's this thing I picked up from Patriot Act with Hassan Minhaj. One of my favorite shows ever. I'm devastated it's over. But one of the biggest things that I took away from it, there's this episode from, I think, Volume 5, where he does a 2019 recap. And he talks about how, you know, there's so much happening in the world. And for us, like, there's so much happening in the Philippines. So you can feel overwhelmed and fatigued. And you feel like you have to keep up and care about all of these things all at once. Like, every single issue that comes along, it's almost like you have multiple tabs open. But what the episode was saying is that you're allowed to close some of those tabs to be able to concentrate your energies in the ones where you know you can make a difference in. And I think that's a good way to look at how we can operate in the world that we live in today. Absolutely. But also it's good to remember that you can't fight for things if you let yourself go. Take care of yourself is one thing. Um, whether that's by, you know, taking a break from social media or just like watching a couple of episodes of your favorite show every now and then. Entertainment media is great. Information is great and important. And being able to juggle the two is just going to help you in the long run because it just helps you keep yourself in check as well. And also we acknowledge that in saying this, we come from a place of privilege that for us, we can refocus our energies into certain issues, but we're also not actually the people on top and we are still in the midst of this system. And so I think for us, really, the main thing, the big picture is for us to do 
what we need to do so that we can continue to fight the good fight. In whatever way you can. And I'm realizing the episode suddenly took a bleak kind of turn, but we needed it. Yeah, you know, as much as we love using this space to kind of just like gush about the things that we love and that excite us, we also recognize that this is also another platform to sort of lead people to think about the things that matter. We're excited for all of the future episodes we have, but especially to end 2020, really, we just want to leave you with the idea that media is a powerful thing and that the way you interact with it, the way you consume it, the way you think about it matters. Exactly. Media is powerful, so wield it wisely. And I think that's it for us this episode. Happy end of the year. Happy end of the year, everyone. There's no assurance that 2021 is going to be great, but let us all strive to make it at least better than 2020. The bar is on the floor at 2021. Let's go. (laughs) I'm rooting for you. But also, to anyone listening, whether or not we know you in real life or whether you listened to one episode this year or several, thank you so much for spending time with us. We truly are very grateful. And we're rooting for you too in the new year. So we'll talk to you guys then. Bye, everyone. Bye.